You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. I'm Ed Satterfield, one of the pastors here, and excited about uh, continuing our, serve, our uh, study of the book of 2 Corinthians this morning. Uh, we've been... Um, in this book now for a few weeks, and like the church at Corinth, um, we are caught up as people that are similar to that church, being success-driven, performance-based, often appearance-obsessed in our own culture. And so we have been learning that the real power comes not through strength, but through weakness. Just like Jesus in his resurrection triumph that seemed uh, apparently a defeat, Cross and resurrection give us the basic pattern for our spiritual life. And so we want to look at this passage together and uh, listen now as Scott and Joanne Armistead read for us. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks to, God. be to God. A recent article in the New York Times by Adam Grant, I think captures uh, what a lot of us have been feeling and experiencing over the past number of months. He says this, it wasn't burnout, still had energy. It wasn't depression, we didn't feel hopeless. It turns out that there's a name for this, languishing. Languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at life through a fogged up windshield, and it might just be the dominant emotion for 2021. So good question first to ask, how are we languishing? And perhaps uh, it is that general fogginess that we're experiencing right now, but perhaps it's a sense of spiritual fogginess or languishing. Do you feel dim spiritually these days? Is the gap between what you believe and what you see actually being worked out in life seem to be a very, very large gap? Are you wondering or doubting? Why am I so lifeless if the gospel's so real? Why does the message of Jesus seem so irrelevant to people right now? And if the resurrection is true, why am I having such a tough time? Well, if we are languishing, Paul's message is just what we need to hear this morning because he wants to tell us that uh, we flourish when we see clearly God's powerful activity at work in our lives and in our world. We find ourselves invigorated. We find ourselves strengthened when we observe God powerfully at work. So let's look at some of the ways that Paul outlines in this passage that we can see God at work. First of all, he wants to suggest to us that we see God working powerfully to awaken us to be able to see. God awakens us in the birth of our relationship with him, and he keeps on doing that work in our experience with him. God is doing an incredible work, he's telling us in this passage, uh, to awaken us from a very difficult condition. He uses two metaphors. The first one is of being veiled, and the second is being blind. Veiledness is basically having something covering your vision. It's blocking your sight of what is out there. And so you at least are seeing in a foggy, unclear way, uh, there's a, a sense of a blockade, a distance between yourself and the reality around you. And it makes us unsure, it makes us uncertain. The other metaphor, blindness, is even more extreme. It's of being in the dark. And if you can imagine that, uh, being in a place where you don't know what your next step is gonna bring. You're not sure and feeling safe as you make that step and that journey. And you not only are feeling uh, unclear about things, you're, you're completely uncertain. And we naturally, in that kind of environment, whether veiled or uh, blind, we come to our own conclusions about reality based on that uh, limited eyesight. And we form our own vision and shape of what we think about ourselves and about God and about the world. And Paul also wants to make it clear that there is also, it's not just you dealing with that, there's a power at work in this world. He names it the God of this world, which is Satan, 
who's using those methods to, uh, any method he can to keep us in that veiled position or in that blind place. He not only uses your natural inclinations, being a veiled person or being blind, he wants to accentuate those, but he also uses his own influence and his own uh, exertion to help keep you stuck. But he also uses the culture around us, the way everybody else is thinking. So if you're in a fog and your neighbor's in a fog and we're all in a fog, we're still in a fog together and we languish. But God does not leave us in the dark. He doesn't allow the veil to stay over our faces. His remarkable power is being proclaimed in this passage, that he breaks through, he awakens us so that we see clearly, that we can see without a veil, without the sense of darkness. Look at the description he gives of his work. In verse 4, he says, the light of the gospel displays the glory of Christ. And in verse 6, he says, God makes his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Paul's using a lot of words. He kind of glops on together here. But what he's essentially saying is God shines a light into our lives, like a spotlight that makes the darkness dispel. He takes away the veil and enables us to begin to see clearly. And what we see isn't just stuff. It's Jesus. It's something about his glory, his brilliance, his goodness, his love, his truthfulness, and his reality, his substance. And when we see that, it changes everything about how we live. One of the best descriptions of this awakening that I think is out there is uh, from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 31. And in that, it's, it's describing this awakening in terms of the phrase effective calling, like God's actually speaking that light into our hearts to call us into a relationship, to call us to see things clearly. Effective calling is the work of God's Spirit who convinces us that we're sinful and miserable, who enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and who renews our wills. This is how he persuades and enables us to freely receive Jesus Christ. Just think about that for a moment. One of the things God is doing is to help us to be aware of our sinfulness and our brokenness, to see that uh, more clearly, to see that we have a need for a Savior and we can't fix ourselves. He's working that out. And that incredible light that He shines on our life is a great, great gift to us. But it's not just an intellectual thing. As this points out, it's helping us to a state of misery. Uh, It's not that he wants to make us miserable, but he wants us to see and experience the misery that we're in, the longing that we have to have this broken place mended, to have uh, guilty and shameful places forgiven, to have things that are broken in our ways of relating, to be healed and restored. He's at work to help us see our need. But he's also showing us more and more about who Jesus is so that we are drawn to him. We see his love, his care, his compassion, the fact that he's real and, real and that he is really present before us. And we see that he can make a difference in our lives. And we want to then trust him and that work of the Spirit to renew our wills so that we embrace Jesus. We actually relate to him by trusting, by grabbing hold of him, knowing that he is the cure for what ails us. That if we're languishing, he's going to help bring us alive. Paul is, uh, has certainly in mind his own experience in this, and we know that he had a pretty dramatic thing about blindness. 
uh, God actually shone a brilliant light, and this is kind of ironic because he shows this brilliant light to him on the road to Damascus that blinds him temporarily. So the blind Paul is blinded so that he could see. The light shines into his heart. And a few days later, uh, scales fall off his eyes like the veil being taken away so that he could start to see clearly. And what he saw was Jesus. He saw that he was real, that he was true, that he was not an enemy but a friend, someone who came to heal and to restore and to mend. And it changed him from a, a, an enemy to one who wanted to go around telling everybody the clear thing that he had seen. And not too many of us have that kind of dramatic experience, but each one of us has had uh, the, lo- the light of God attempting to shine into our hearts. And so I just ask you this morning to think about how God has done that in your own heart. To think about the ways he's begun to show you uh, what's broken in you and make you concerned because you know that you're miserable in that state. To help you to see Jesus in some fresh and new ways and to begin to draw you into a trusting relationship with him where you really do look to him for uh, taking away that languishing experience and reviving you. It's not just something that is for uh, one point in our life and then it's pretty much nothing after that. The the idea of effective calling is something that Jesus continues to do day by day by day, shining his light in fresh new ways because he wants to continue to show us our need, to continue to help us to see how we're broken and miserable and to come to him for salvation, for life, for newness. Um, And he wants us to be trusting him knowing that he's powerful and able to make that transformation in us. So Paul wants us to see this incredible work of God that he's doing. And one of those primary ways is to understand that he's awakening us. Seeing his power transports us from a place of languishing to enlivened confidence in the Lord that he is able to help us keep on seeing things clearly. The second thing, though, that Paul wants us to notice in this passage is that we see God powerfully working in our suffering and weakness. He says in verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. Jars of clay were sort of the common uh, ordinary elements of ancient Near Eastern living. You can, uh, any archaeological dig is going to find tons of these because they were used by everybody everywhere, and there were lots of them. It's kind of like our throwaway um, Tupperware stuff or uh, stuff that we use all the time. Uh, Really not anything dramatic or brilliant or beautiful, not anything to look at or to pay attention to, just very ordinary And Paul wants us to get that it's in those places of our ordinariness that his power is shown more powerfully uh, than the places where we're trying to look good and look strong. But he also says in verses 8 and 9 and following, he's describing his experience of suffering. And Paul's going to do this, as we'll see as we continue studying. He'll give us even bigger uh, bigger list in a couple of other places in his letter, showing us that... um, his experience of suffering and weakness was almost like being killed. (laughs) And in fact, that's what he describes. He was multiple times shipwrecked. Um, He was multiple times beaten within an inch of his life. He was left for dead. Uh, He was uh, constantly being resisted and and, uh, kicked out of towns. 
the kind of opposition he experienced, the kind of suffering and pain and struggle that Paul experienced was intense. And in the description, it's pretty powerfully present that uh, if you experience that, the tendency would be to quit and to stop keeping at the task that you were at. Uh, but Paul never stopped. And that showed God's power in the midst of uh, his suffering and uh, difficulty. It's in those ordinary, normal places. It's in those places of suffering and weakness that the unmistakable reality of God's power is seen more than any other place. Because obviously, you're weak, you're frail, you're fragile, uh, you're ordinary, and yet something is showing up in your experience and in your life that shows that God's there. He's alive. He's doing something to enliven you, make you strong, and make you able to endure those difficult, hard places, and endure in a way that brings life and joy rather than just pain and hardship. Paul describes this uh, in this passage pretty uh, dramatically when he says that uh, we are caring about in ourselves the dying of Jesus. And by that, he's not just meaning that Jesus' death on the cross. He's talking about everything that led up to that, uh, the things that are a part of uh, the pain and struggle that led towards uh, his death. And so he has more in mind Jesus' anguish in the garden. He has in mind his rejection and humiliation. He has in mind the pain of scourging and the abandonment of all of his friends and followers. It's in those places of dying and suffering that we're not going to die immediately. It's just hard. It, it's putting us on the precipice of death, so to speak. And so he says, we always carry about in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It's that cross-resurrection uh, cycle or uh, scenario that we talked about, that we've been talking about in this series where in the midst of uh, pain, sorrow, struggle, and difficulty, God is showing up in a way that gives life, that helps endure, that helps strengthen and give uh, resilience. He's using our suffering and weakness uh, not just for ourselves. We see it. We notice those ways in which he's sort of buoyed us up, and we feel uh, re replacing languishing uh, existence with a sense of joy and a sense of strength. We see it, but the other thing that he's saying is that your dying is life for other people because they see it too. They notice when you go through the difficult places and how God has met you there and strengthened you. God is at work in the ordinary places and we of weakness. And we may have stopped noticing them because they're ordinary, <laughs> right? Uh, we think of them uh, all the time as just sort of the mundane part of our lives, but sometimes we miss seeing God at work in the midst of those difficult places. So just a couple of examples just to give us the picture that I think Paul is painting here. Uh, you, may want to, you may have gone to visit some of our um, older saints in the congregation, and uh, often the experience there is going that you go to care and you end up leaving encouraged and you feel cared about. And the person I want to talk about this morning is Elva White. She's uh, steadily gotten weaker. She's less able to do the normal things that she loved to do and uh, some of those caring ways that she's had to give up. Uh, it's like writing a thousand cards and notes to people uh, full of encouragement and full of uh, uh, messages of hope. Um, 
If you go to visit her even today, you're going to get the experience that you go expecting someone who's uh, declining and in difficulty, and you're going to find her animated with the energy of an outward-facing person who's going to encourage you, who's going to strengthen you because she's filled up with the power of God. Some of you may remember a few years ago, our former uh, pastor, uh, Nelson Old, was caring for his first wife when she was dying of cancer. And week after week, month after month, over through that long illness, people from this congregation were taking meals uh, to that house. They were going to visit and to encourage uh, Lacey and uh, Nelson. And the stream of people constantly uh, pouring into that place began to be noticed by a neighbor who just said, what in the heck's going on over there? Looks like a party is taking place. And it was an expression again of the incredible place where God's power shines in the midst of real suffering and weakness. And she came to a place where she uh, came to know Jesus Christ because of the powerful display of a community that had been filled by God in the midst of difficulty uh, to care for one another in a very profound way. And you know, you and I are doing this in more ways than we often imagine or notice. You live out clay pot lives every day. And you're showing God's power at work when you go to tutor week after week with students in the community. When you provide assistance, whether it's financial or practical for people that are in need in this city, uh, you're living out clay pot lives that are showing God's power. Uh, When you uh, live out faithful honesty in your workplace, you're doing that. When you, as mothers, are helping to work daily to shape your children's life to be followers of Jesus Christ, clay pot ordinary ways in which we are displaying the glory of God, the power of God, and uh, it's helpful for us to start to notice that. And Paul wants to urge us to see uh, God's power displayed in the weakness, suffering, and difficulty. You know, it, it transforms that experience from something that's awful when we're experiencing pain and hardship into something that reshapes our perception and enlivens our lives. Uh, not that we uh, love pain or suffering ever, and we always would prefer to be strong rather than weak, but when we get this concept and this reality as God is working through those pains, through those suffering, places of suffering and hardship, um, God shows up in a way that changes everything. So the last point I want us to focus on this morning is uh, that we also see God powerfully at work in our transformation. Paul starts and ends this particular passage with an amazing claim. Listen to it. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Then he ends the passage in 4.17 by saying, for our momentary, light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God is about transforming us to be like Jesus Christ. That's an amazing statement, folks. God is about doing that uh, reshaping of our lives to make us more like the most amazing person that ever lived. And the chief way he's doing that is through suffering and weakness and difficulty. In our dying, and again, Paul means more than just the act of death. He's talking about the troubles of life that are inclining us towards that death. He means our suffering and our weakness. God is able to break 
through our independence and our self-sufficiency. He brings us to a place where we're seeing our great need for Him. We're knowing, noting our weakness. We're noting our difficulty in the midst of pain and suffering. And we're looking to Him to sustain us, to enable us, to empower us in the midst of those really dark, difficult days. He makes us more like Jesus, not because we've suffered like He did, but because God has changed the way that we relate to Him in that pain and suffering. He's healing the wound of the fall bringing us to a place uh, away from our rebellion, our distancing from God, to, into a close relationship where we're seeing his care for us. We're seeing his love for us. We're seeing him as good. And so we're clinging and holding on to him in the midst of the things that we're experiencing. Paul uses this term uh, weight of glory in this passage. And it's really a redundant phrase because the word glory in Hebrew means weight. So it's almost as if he's saying um, he's building for us a weight of weights. He's building for us this, uh, this place of substance, of depth, of um, value and worth. That's what uh, weight, that weightiness of glory means. And it contrasts with the biblical image of chaff. Chaff is something that's light. It is um, worthless and it's temporary. And if you imagine the, the blowing winds of a fierce storm in the midst of struggle and uh, pain and suffering, uh, chaff just blows away. It's weightless. It can't, uh, can't hold up to anything. And it is just gone. But weightiness, this existence of glory that God's producing in us, the images that God is ever producing more and more in the midst of pain and sorrow and struggle, He's producing that weight, that sense of value, that sense of substance that in the midst of the gales of that difficulty is going to hold up. It's going to stand firm and, substanti- and become more substantial. In this restored connection with God, it's a place of clearer vision of God himself, a place of seeing his goodness, his reality, and his love more and more fully. And in that vision of him, we are being transformed as we see that image of God's love, his grace, his mercy, his care for us into that same kind of existence. And it builds substance and beauty and brilliance. This is happening now, Paul's telling us in this passage. It's not something that uh, waits till we die and go to be with uh, Jesus uh, forever. It's something God is doing now in ever increasing ways He is producing that sense of substance, value, and weight in you and in me. I'd highly recommend that you read uh, the essay that C.S. Lewis wrote called The Weight of Glory. But just to describe this weight of glory a little bit, he uh, says this. The dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. That's the kind of glory that God is at work producing substance, value, weight, solidity, the kind of reality in a person's life that is displaying glory and brilliance. I saw this transformation in my own father. Uh, First, I saw it when he came to um, this church. Uh, My family came and began to worship here. And it was through the ordinary clay pot lives that you guys are living here, following Jesus together, worshiping together, going to a class together, studying the word together, 
trying to live out your faith together. Doesn't seem like much, but it transformed my dad's life. Took him from being very, very nominal in his own faith, uh, not really able to talk much about it or not having much depth or substance to it, to a person who increasingly had more and more to say, more and more depth, more and more joy uh, as he lived. And uh, I'm deeply thankful for that. But another part of that uh, work of transformation that took place in my dad's life was in his long bout with cancer, and especially as his health was really declining, dad began to increasingly focus on this passage, was one of the key ones, but he continued to focus on the Lord and on that uh, reality that God was doing in transforming us into Christ's image. And it made him more and more a brilliant person to be around in the midst of uh, frailty and weakness and impending death. And uh, just so you don't think I'm sharing uh, family embellishment, um, uh, Steve Hartman, another former pastor of this church, uh, just felt a few days before my dad died that he just needed to go by and visit my dad. And uh, he usually doesn't do that. He usually schedules everything. But he just felt it was important and uh, obviously enabled him to see dad a few days before he died. And uh, after he went in to visit my dad, he came back out and he said, he told the rest of the family, I've seen the glory. By that he meant that he was seeing someone reflecting the glory of the Lord because he was looking at him so much and anticipating being with him and anticipating the full measure of what that weight would be as he went to be with the Lord. But he was also seeing God's glory in the midst of weakness. He was seeing God showing up, being powerfully true and real and, and present because of the transformation that was taking place. It wasn't a person um, distressed about what was taking place. It wasn't a person who was in fear or anxiety about it, but one who was rejoicing and celebrating the transition that he was experiencing. Third family, God wants us to see life differently. He wants us to see with eyes that have been awakened because God's at work making us alive, to see things clearly, taking away the veil, unblinding us. He wants us to see God at work right in the midst of ordinary life, right in the midst of struggle and pain and difficulty so that we're no, seeing ourselves no longer languishing but being transformed and reshaped through those experiences, not only to see for ourselves God's powerful reality, but to be able to share it and have others see it as well. So let's refocus our hearts on him. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who is powerfully at work, that you haven't left us in our blind, veiled condition, but that you have extended yourself by your spirit to awaken us, to show us even in the midst of ordinary struggles and pains and suffering of this life, that you are real and that you are the one who is able to help us meet each of those difficulties. And Lord, we thank you that you are working to transform us into that glory and weight and substance uh, that is part of your plan for us. And we rejoice in these things and ask for your grace to help us to focus more clearly because of your work in us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.